0: Oh, and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about America's least accessible school so you don't have to. I'm Renata.
1: And I'm Kate.
0: And for this episode, we read Sideways Stories from Wayside School by Lewis Sacker. Joining us to discuss this iconic saga of alternative education is Amy Stern, assistant agent at the Sheldon Fogelman Agency, with many feelings on Kate and Renata-flavored ice creams. Hi, Amy. Hello good to be here thanks for joining us thanks for putting that upsetting image into my mind at this time
1: (laughs) (laughs) i am very excited to have amy here because she is my favorite person to listen to talk listen to while she talks about kids books So this has having Amy do an episode with us has been like on my short list of things to propose for a long time. And I'm very happy the stars aligned for us to ask her to do this one.
0: Yes, absolutely. Amy has a lot of excellent
2: opinions. I'm happy that you'll get to hear some of them. I'm just glad that you guys are willing to have me and have me for something that I actually love. Like you guys do such a good job with books that are not as great but I'm like when when you mentioned this one I was like but it's perfect I don't have any that much to criticize with this it's perfect but then as I was rereading it I, I was like wait I have thoughts
0: yeah and and so that is a good reminder for us to introduce that this is part of our flashback summer series where we revisit some childhood favorites and uh, unlike our normal picks for worst bestsellers mostly we're not going into this hoping to talk about them being bad or you know comically terribly done we mostly just want to indulge in some fun nostalgia and you know maybe find some things that are weirder now or that we didn't fully appreciate when we read them as kids but we're mostly mostly looking for some enjoyment and I think we found that here
2: yes And I mean, like, if you're looking for something that's weirder on reread, it would be really hard to find something weirder than this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. If you're not familiar with these books, there are three uh, storybooks in total, and they consist of a bunch of stories about uh, students and teachers at Wayside School, which is a school that was supposed to be built Uh, 30 classrooms side by side and one story tall, but was instead built uh, one classroom on top of another and 30 stories high. And they were, I can say certainly they were staples in our household when I was growing up. They were read aloud books. My mom read them to us and dad as kids. And then they were certainly books that I reread a few times in my youth as well. They were very funny to me then. They remain funny to me now. I don't know what that says about my maturity of growth and sense of humor and all that, but uh, they were just universally beloved by by us.
0: Oh, same. I mean, they were popular in my household, in my school. Uh, this book was first published in 1978, and it is shocking how funny most of this still is, how... A lot of the jokes are still completely unexpected. This is not a book that feels stale. And we'll talk about this maybe more when we get to reader's advisory, but there really aren't other books like this. Like, a lot of times when we find a popular series like The Babysitter's Club or whatever, then you find, oh, there's these copycats that are, you know, there's a bunch of other kind of club series books or whatever there's not a lot that's really like this. And I think there's just something so unique about the sensibility and the humor that uh, maybe c- can't be copied. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It is shocking to me. I like my jaw literally dropped when you said 78, cause I never looked into when they were written before, but if you had said like, Oh, they were written in the nineties contemporary to us and were published when we were the pro- perfect age to enjoy them I would have 100% believed you there is a very timeless humor to these then
2: and they're just they're really smartly done mm-hmm. like it's timeless but not in that way where you feel like it's intentionally timeless which I, I agree that when I, I was looking up the dates because I wanted to see there's apparently a bunch of different illustrators for the series and I was like wait how can there be one for the 70s this definitely wasn't written in the 70s just-
0: The illustrator time traveled. It's like, you know what? I'm going to draw these books before these books even come out, and then I'll definitely get
2: the job. If it was going to happen for literally any book, it would be this one. I know, right?
0: Uh,
1: I 100% would believe it.
0: That
2: could be a plot point in this
0: book, and it wouldn't be (laughs) a stray.
1: So real quick, because I feel like there is a lot because of the nature of this without one narrative through line. Um, I feel like there is a lot to talk about, but I did, I do think we can do, like, a broad overview of the book and then maybe go into some of the actual stories and maybe briefly summarize all of them, but then go into more on some of them. We'll see. We're going to roll with it. It's flashback summer. We do what we want. Yeah. So the books are composed of 30 short stories, largely about the class on the 30th story uh, which starts off as Mrs. Gorf's class and becomes Mrs. Jewel's class and each chapter more or less is about one student and one like kind of wild thing about that student with a few exceptions there's one that's about multiple students uh, there's a couple about the teachers one about Lewis the yard teacher And
0: the, and the and the introduction and conclusion yes
1: But so each one just gives you kind of like a little window into what life is like on the 30th story of Wayside School.
2: Uh, I feel like we should jump, just stop for a minute to note that Lewis, the yard teacher, is also Lewis, the writer, who, like, it's really easy to be like, oh, yeah, the the yard guy. And then you're like, who also wrote, you know, Holes, the Newbery winning book, and all of these like really complex uh, uh, novels. And you just kind of like, for me that actually kind of integrates fairly well it's just like <laughs> oh right here's some character development
0: <laughs> yeah and you know when i was a kid i don't think i put together that lewis the yard teacher and lewis sacker i don't think i put together that that's like the same name and it like implied to be the same person it wasn't until i was reading it now for this i was like oh i see what he did there <laughs> <laughs> Because the, the opening is he he says, you know, you might think that these stories are weird, but you know what? I went and told them stories about your school and they thought your school was weird. And and he did. And they did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first chapter is about Mrs. Gorf, who is currently the teacher on the 30th story at the start of the book. And when the students irritate her. For various reasons, she wiggles her ears. Uh, one ear, one ear, and then wiggles the other, and then sticks her tongue out and turns the student in question into an apple. And over the course of a couple days, as more and more students irritate her or try to run away and like <laughs> go for help. She turns the entire class into apples and then is very pleased because it means that she won't have to go up and down 30 flights of stairs every day, which, as a child,
2: she was a villain. As an adult, hard relate. I also love that being apples really changes nothing for the kids. Like, oh, they're apples, but they'll fight back. Yeah. Yes. Because that is how the chapter
1: ends, is all of the apples jump off of her desk and attack her until she turns them back into students and then they use a mirror and she turns herself into an apple.
0: And then Lewis eats her. <laughs> Lewis eats her and never knows what he has done and and <laughs> that's something that as a kid I was like, oh that's funny and now I'm like a little bit haunted by.
2: <laughs> and what I love is that all of the kids just like carry the secret to the grave. Yeah. Like none of the kids are like, gee, this is kind of weird. And I mean, based on the things in other chapters, why would they think this is weird? This is basically how they roll in general. But like, they just watch the yard teacher eat their their regular teacher. And then they spend the rest of the entire series being like, that Lewis, he's a trustworthy man. I like him. Yeah. Well, because he didn't know. He just ate an apple.
0: That was a snack. By the way, did your school have a yard teacher? Is that a thing?
2: mine definitely did not like we had people who like helped it like lunch and recess but a yard teacher was not a thing
0: yeah i mean we had a gym teacher but like when we had a resource and went out to the yard it was just our regular teachers who went with us
1: yeah there was sort of like a rotating cast of what teacher was in charge of uh recess at various points
0: i'm gonna I'm going to pause to Google if a yard ER teacher is the thing at any school or if this is just a wayside school thing. <laughs> it's not for it's for sure not the weirdest thing about it, but
2: it didn't mm-hmm. even occur to me that this could be just like another weird wayside thing. This I just kind of rolled with like, oh, I guess this is how schools do it in places that aren't mine.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I kind of assume that like, oh, maybe if a school has money, they can afford to <laughs> hire someone who just does recess.
0: All the top hits for a yard teacher are for Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and then a donor's choose for a teacher named Ms. Yard. So I'm going to go on a limb and say yard teacher is not a thing except for at Wayside School.
2: Okay, but I love so much that this means that we've all I- just integrated, like, we just accepted this. Like, the-, the book is so weird that we're like, this is kind of weird. Yeah, that's probably the realistic aspect. Yeah. Well, the thing, too, is I,
0: as a kid, I read a lot of books about, I feel like most of the school stories that I read seem to be about, like, bigger or more urban schools, so there were a lot of things that happened at schools that, like, for sure never happened at my small rural school, but I was just like, oh, I guess this is just how it is at, like, big city schools, which Wayside School is not, but it was, I don't know, I was just like, oh, a lot of schools are different
2: yeah and i i went to like a suburban relatively well-off school but and just assumed that this was maybe something that happened at like rural schools that had more of a yard because they we know that they have a giant yard because the school isn't taking it up so wild
0: yeah i guess if your school has a yard that big you would need a full yard teacher
1: It never would have occurred to me that the fact that there's a the yard teacher is one of the weirdo things. If you're listening to this right now and you're like, what the hell? Like, that's not weird. My school had a yard teacher. Uh, let us know. Yeah, Do but,
0: please do, in fact, at us regarding yard teachers.
1: Yes, Cause but I do love the idea that that is no, they just have this, because they have this huge yard. <laughs> they're like, well, we certainly have to hire someone to just be the yard teacher. I love I'm it. I'm
2: just imagining them being like, well, I mean, technically, he's, like, he's covering, like, 29 out of 30 of the, of the school. <laughs> like, the grounds. He's got way more area to cover than everyone else combined. And yet he never goes and gets those balls back.
1: <laughs> so let's, let's anyway skating through this book. Let's move um, past so.
0: chapter one, I guess.
1: The next chapter is about Mrs. Jules, who is the replacement teacher for the 30th story. Uh, And the kids are kind of terrified of having a nice teacher because they've never had one. And Mrs. Jules is terrified of teaching cute students because she's never taught cute students before. And when she opens the door, she decides that the students are too cute to be students. They must be a classroom full of monkeys. And so after she, like offers a banana to one monkey that she thinks is trained very well because it can answer questions, Uh, the children are in fact able to convince her that they are students and she starts making them do schoolwork.
0: Which, by the way, in any other case, I'd be like, oh, this teacher's doing a bit. But in this case, she seems 100%, it seems genuine, like a genuine belief that that the students are monkeys. That's all.
2: The next I, story. I can't really get a sense of, like, are we supposed to believe that she's taught at other schools before? Or is this just, like, this is her first job, so, sure, why not go up to the 30th floor? Why not be teaching a classroom of monkeys? Why not have this weird discipline system? Like, sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wait till we get to the discipline. I've got some feelings about it. <laughs> um, the next chapter is about a student named Joe who can't count. Um, And he, in the first chapter, that is the reason why he is turned into an apple by Mrs. Gorf, is she asks him to do a math problem, and he can't do it because he can't count. Except that when Mrs. Jules makes him stay in at uh, lunch, the recess, so that she can teach him how to count, uh, he'll do this thing where she'll, like, put eight potatoes on his desk and be like, count the potatoes, and he'll be like, three, seven, twelve, fifty-two, eight. And he always gets the right answer, but he doesn't count the right way. And when he counts the right way, he doesn't get the right answer, uh, which is very indicative of the style of humor in this book. So in the end, she just kind of rolls with it. And then he wakes up the next day having learned how to count properly.
0: Yeah, because that's one of her things, is she's like, oh, you'll you'll figure it out eventually in time. And then he's like, well, what's the point of school anyway? And she's like, he's, she's like, well, school helps you learn faster. If you didn't have school, maybe you wouldn't realize how to count until you were, like, 70.
2: So the weird, one of the weird things is that sometimes Mrs. Jules' pedagogical approach is really, really good. Yes. And sometimes yes. it is bizarre and nonsensical. <laughs> and part of me is like, I like I don't I feel like I didn't pick up on that as much as a kid cuz I just kind of assumed that adults didn't make sense. Like that was just mm-hmm. kind of a thing grown-ups did and now I'm like a- again, I'm really stuck on like how did she, how did she decide to teach what what is she working from? What is her logic here? I have no idea. I still have no idea.
0: Well, and like what's Lewis Sacker's logic here? Because it would be one thing if it were a school where she, you know, understands that all her students have different learning needs, and she's just willing to accommodate that. I feel like that would be more of a Mary Poppins thing, where this seems weird, but actually, at the end of it, they'll have clean rooms and they'll know math. But it seems like fifty-fifty. Where sometimes it is this sort of like wisdom of like, oh, he just counts in his own way, and he'll get there, and he's getting the right answer. And sometimes it's just like straight up irrational nonsense. <laughs> in the face of. That, that doesn't help the existing nonsense. Yeah. But maybe the moral of the story comes slightly later on when, when, um. oh, which student is it who, who learns the lesson that adults are stupid?
2: Was that in this one or was that in one of the other books? I can't keep track anymore of like. um. It is Allison.
0: Yes. Okay. So we'll get to Allison.
2: Yes. Um,
1: So next up is Sherry, who uh, every day in class she sleeps through the whole class and here's another uh, bit of Mrs. Jewell's approach to uh, learning is that she thinks that if she, if Sherry is daydreaming then it means that her mind is working and she's learning a lot and if she's asleep then she must be like really extra learning and her mind must be like super absorbing information. And Cherry sleeps in class all the time. And on this particular day, uh, she falls out the window while asleep and uh, wakes up while she's falling and then goes back to sleep before she hits the ground. And before she can hit the ground, Lewis sees her falling and rushes over to catch her and then brings her back up to the 30th story.
0: And she is mad about Lewis waking her up.
1: Yes.
2: Um, Reading it this time, I was really stuck by how many times Lewis walks up to the 30th story.
0: Yeah, Lewis must have just amazing quads.
1: (laughs) After Sherry is Todd, and Todd is possibly the story from these books that haunted me the longest in my very uh, basic understanding of justice
0: as a child. Yes, yes.
1: Hashtag justice uh, for Todd, please. Yes. Um, so Todd's thing is that Mrs. So Mrs. Jewel's discipline system that we referred to earlier is that the first time you do something bad, you get your name written on the board under discipline. The second time you do it, you get a check mark next to your name. And the third time you do something wrong, your name gets circled and you have to go home early on the kindergarten bus. And this happens to Todd literally every day. And we see through his eyes in his chapter that it is it is pure injustice, like at the beginning all the kids are talking out of turn in class, and Todd is quiet, and he finally has something to say, and he goes to say it, and he gets in trouble and no one else does. It
0: seems also like Todd maybe has some sort of processing disorder, because like, by the time he says his thing and realizes what he wants to say, everyone else has stopped talking, but he doesn't quite put it together until after the fact.
2: Also, like if there's a kid who gets in trouble every day and is clearly trying to be good, like there's a lot of kids who are at this school and specifically in this class who are just kind of jerks. But Todd seems like a a kid who's trying to be good and trying to be nice, but gets in so much trouble every day that he can't last past noon. I feel like there should be some kind of intervention here. Like the school should be like, gee, why is this well-meaning child constantly causing issues? also why is your punishment that you get less school
0: (laughs) like your punishment should be you have detention and you have to go on like the later bus he is just missing the whole afternoon of school which seems ultimately hurtful to his education
2: yeah i also like who's home to get a kid at noon when they're they don't like they don't know whether or not to expect it like this did not make sense to me as a kid and i As a kid, I just kind of assumed, oh, maybe this is how certain schools work, but this is not remotely how my school worked.
1: Oh, no, no, not at all. Mine either. Now I'm wondering if this
2: is like a yard teacher thing.
1: Yeah. So so the particularly harsh injustice in Todd's chapter about this is that they're working in their workbooks in class and... Joy, who sits behind him, keeps asking him what page she's on and then gloating to him that she's a faster worker than him. Like, constantly, every, like, two seconds, she's like, Todd, what page are you on? And he says three, and she says, I'm on 20. And at one point, she's, like, literally screaming this out loud. But she doesn't get in trouble. Todd gets in trouble for telling her to leave him alone and let him do his work. Uh, At which point, robbers break into the 30th story. (laughs) Yep, as they because do they, they thought it was a bank But it's a school And it took them 30 stories to uh, You know Decide to break into a classroom and discover this And Todd explains To them that what they have is more valuable Than money They have knowledge So they, he gives them Joy's workbook Which is all filled out And they vow that they're going to stop being robbers And go to college instead And everyone's very proud of Todd for stopping the robbers. But then he, Joy, has to start over in her workbook. And when he goes to gloat to her that he's on a further page than her, Mrs. Jules hears him talking and gives him one last circle with his name and he has to go home on the kindergarten bus anyway.
2: Yeah, it's really unfair.
1: It is. Justice for Todd.
2: Okay, my first question here did the robbers just go to the 30th floor planning to work their way down with the theft like I, I don't really understand their logic <laughs> In do, like this seems like really not well thought out crime well they didn't go to college Amy <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly maybe if they had gone to school they would know but they haven't
2: so they're and doing then... bad
1: crime they need to learn so they can do better crime <laughs> mhm
2: Well, I'm glad that Joy's workbook is going towards a good cause then. (laughs) Exactly. And then, like, the other kids are jerks. If they're, like, this is apparently the first time that all the kids are, like, applauding him leaving early because he did a good thing. And it's, like, he's literally never done a bad thing. Like, I mean, I'm sure he has because all human beings do bad things. But we don't anywhere in the story see him, like, being aggressive or mean in a way that, like, two-thirds of the class is.
1: Yeah, it's it's a real, I mean, justice for Todd. Todd is the character that haunted me as a child because he did nothing wrong and was punished all the time anyway, and my little heart couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. Ah. So
2: I, I like I get that Todd is kind of supposed to represent for the reader, like, when you're a kid and you feel like you did nothing wrong, but you keep getting in trouble, and he's, like, a natural exaggeration of that. But as a kid who was, like, compulsively rule-following, this was like the most horrifying story i could imagine <laughs> yeah
0: same you know who else you know who else i think deserves some justice is bb who can draw very quickly and so during art she always draws like hundreds of pictures and who what are the others calvin two? calvin, calvin. Is her assistant and he like flips the pages for her and brings her the crayons that she needs. And Mrs. Jules is like, Calvin, how come you're not drawing? And he's like, Well, BB can draw better than I can, so if I help her, then that's like me being more productive to the cause of art than if I were to draw my own art. Which is sort of noble to be honest. But Mrs. Jules is like, that's not how art works. Um, BB, just because if you draw two million pictures of cats, that doesn't make it them good necessarily and if you spend a lot of time and draw a better cat then that's better art which honestly I think if you draw two million pictures of cats that is my absolute definition of art and I think baby should be able to do that if she wants to
2: also the idea that she isn't improving as she draws them like when we when we talk about like a certain number of hours to become an expert I think someone's becoming an expert in drawing cats and I think it's the person who's drawing millions of them yeah.
0: <laughs> so then she decides she's going to draw the slowest cat possible and she spends like a week just drawing the whiskers yes
2: um, but it, like it seems like I mean may- maybe I'm like projecting way too much onto this but like it seems like she really enjoyed drawing really fast and now it seems like more of a chore because she wants to be good
0: No, like I there, agree. there's a
2: sense of removing the joy of it I, I agree. feel I feel though like the advice that Mrs.
1: Jewel's giving is not necessarily to tell BB to stop drawing a million cats, but to encourage Calvin, who thinks that because it takes him all of art period to draw one airplane, that it's not worth trying. As like yeah, I I no, I feel like fair. it that she is instead trying what she's trying to do is say to Calvin like it's okay, like, even if it takes you a long time, it, someone who takes a really long time to draw something could draw something that's way better than someone who draws, you know, 50 in the same amount of time, and that BB also, BB reads it as, like, you shouldn't bother drawing lots of things very quickly, you should put, just spend a really long time drawing something to make it better. Yeah. I think, I think it's this advice is one that's of those... for Calvin.
2: Yeah, like, this this isn't, this one isn't on Mrs. Jules. This is just like kids hear things and they take it to the illogical conclusion. Mm. And I totally, like, it's totally relatable. As a kid, I 100% did not pick up that was what she was doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we learn more about Calvin in the next one, which is if you remember one joke from these books, it is probably the joke that starts in the next chapter Mrs. Jules asks Calvin to take a note to Miss Zarves. Miss Zarves teaches on the 19th story, the problem being that when they were building Wayside School, they skipped the 19th story and just built the 18th and then the 20th. So there is no 19th story and there is no Miss Zarves. And Calvin runs around trying to figure out what to do to give this note to Miss Zarves who doesn't exist and finally decides that he'll just admit to Miss Jules that he couldn't do it And he goes back upstairs And Miss Jules thanks him Before he can say anything For dropping the note off Because it was a note telling Miss Zarves Not to meet Miss Jules for lunch And Calvin very quickly is like She definitely won't be meeting you for lunch Don't worry about it Mm -hmm. But that The missing 19th story Is I think probably like the most Iconic part of these books In people that I've met
2: Okay so Now that we've established several other things in these books that we just kind of took for granted that apparently aren't normal in other places. So I lived in an apartment building and we didn't have a 13th story because of like superstition and everything. So the idea of like a building being X number of stories, but actually having X minus one floors actually seemed weird, like seemed fairly normal to me. The weird part was that it was the 19th. Is this actually not a thing for most people?
0: I have heard of other buildings not having 13th floors. I've
1: yes, heard of that. i heard of that too because as a kid who liked weird superstitious shit as a kid, uh, it definitely came up in a lot of stuff that I was reading. And I think I even remember thinking as a kid that like if this, the school is weird, the school had a 13th story and not a 19th story. But yes, no, it's not. It is definitely a thing that I've heard of before, is a building not having a 13th story.
2: Okay, cool. Just trying to figure out, like, my baseline here between weird shit that is specific to this and weird shit that is universal. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the wayside experience. It's just, like, yeah. everything's weird to
1: somebody. Uh, the next story is perhaps the most heartwarming of the stories. It is about Myron, who has become the class president, And his job as class president is to come in early in the morning and turn the lights in the classroom on and stay late after school to turn the lights in the classroom off once everyone has left. And after one day of successfully doing this on his way home, he sees, I think Dana, one of his classmates, their dog has been hit by a car and he helps her get the dog to the vet and the dog ends up being okay. But because of all of the commotion around that, he is late to school the next morning. And his presidential status is revoked by Mrs. Jules because he wasn't there to do his job. But uh, at the end of the day, he still feels very good about himself and very happy that he helped save the dog and made his classmate happy by doing what he could to help out. And it was just very heartwarming.
2: My favorite part about this chapter, though, is that because he's no longer allowed to be class president, he has to show Stephen how to work the lights, which is literally just flicking the switch on and off. And there's just a casual reference of after a week, Stephen finally caught on. And for (laughs) some reason, I just continue to find that hilarious.
0: Right. Yeah, because and, and I think it is also sort of emblematic of how, I don't know, we have like junior high class presidents and stuff. And they don't really have anything to do. It's not like a real job. Like even at the high school level I don't how think they dare do that you? much. But sorry. how dare you. I mean they do turn the lights on and off, I guess. It's interesting you find it heartwarming because I I mean he did save the dog and that's great. Obviously don't care for it when animals die. But uh but then he loses his job immediately and he is he was the best class president Wayside School ever had,
2: but no one knows it. And that bummed me out. i feel like it's another aspect of how like even wayside school which is all like cool and not following the normal rules has so much injustice for kids and i think part of the reason this series works i'm gonna get pretentious here for a minute but like the the complete the balance of things just feeling normal so you do them but they're actually when you step back you're like there's really no rhyme or reason here like it's such a good way to represent how like kids view the world like you know that this happens because you've done it every day and you're going to continue following those rules but nothing makes sense and you're doing it because the adult says to you and if the adult says that this is the rule and you broke it so you can't do it anymore well that's just what you have to do just add another thing to the list of ways that like culture is weird true
1: you're not wrong Let's, let's zoom through another few of these. Although, actually, this one I am sure that Renata wants to talk about. She really doesn't like it. Um, so this one's about Mauricia, who doesn't really like anyone in class, but loves ice cream. So Mrs. Jules comes in with a, starts coming in with flavors of ice cream based on all of her classmates. And as she eats all of them, she starts to like that classmate because the ice cream is so good. Um, So by the end, she loves everyone in the class, except for Kathy, who everyone hates. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, I think, is it Todd? Occasionally, like, we'll take a bite out of Todd because she misses that ice cream flavor so much. Yes. Which I, of course, thought was funny and Renata thought was less funny.
0: Well, it's gross. It's gross and I don't like it. Um, also, the neat, the the first one she brings in, I think, of of the child flavored ice creams, is a Mauricia flavored ice cream, which everyone else loves. And to Mauricia, it's uh it's it has no flavor. And Mrs. Jones is like, oh yes, of course, you can't taste your own flavor, which is also gross. That's all I have to say about this. I don't like (laughs) the idea of human-flavored ice cream, and I would like to move
2: on to Paul, please. (laughs) No, before we move on, I think we should also, like, there's a, there's, I feel like there's a connection. Like, the way that these, these stories approach food, where first you have Mrs. Gorf turning everyone into food, but what she's doing is literally transforming their physical bodies into apples to try to stop them from making her do her job. And then you have Miss Jules who opts to make ice cream, I guess, kind of based on what the kids are like, or I don't really want to think too much about how she makes each child favorite ice cream because there's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's specifically something delicious to m- represent the kids rather than the children literally being can con- con- change into food stuff. And I mean, I th- I think that they're making progress in terms of a healthy relationship to food. All right. I buy it.
1: All right, I'm going to do the next couple quick. If you've got something to say, though, obviously shout out. The chapter right after this one is about Paul, who has the best class, the best seat in Mrs. Jewel's class, and that it is at the very back of the classroom, except that Leslie sits in front of him and she has pigtails that he really wants to pull. Uh, So he pulls one, and his name is written on the board under discipline. And then he's like, well, I'll pull the second one, so then it's even, and I'll have pulled both of them, and that feeling will be uh, alleviated, that desire to pull them. And so he does, and he gets the check mark, and he's like, okay, but now I've pulled them both, so I don't have to worry about being sent home on the kindergarten bus. It's just two, and we're good. Uh, But then Leslie screams as if he has pulled her pigtails again, and he is sent home on the kindergarten bus anyway. Dana is covered in mosquito bites and mrs Jules uses her turns her mosquito bites into numbers in math problems and in doing mosquito bite based math uh they stop itching and relieve dana of uh the annoyance of having them inch constantly during class uh jason sits on somebody puts gum on his chair i can't remember who one of the girls puts gum on his chair after he is kind of a kiss up over something bad that she does in class.
0: Oh, it was joy. joy. Because he joy. told on joy for chewing gum. Yeah. So in retaliation, she put the gum on his chair.
1: Yeah. So he gets stuck to the chair and after a series of different bizarre ways to get him unstuck from the chair, joy kisses him on the nose. And for whatever reason that, breaks the seal of the gum and well, he doesn't because have
0: because it, to... it makes him fall out of his chair uh, this is also where I think the first time we learned that Miss Mush makes terrible food for them in their cafeteria and all of her food is so bad that it doesn't even make sense um, like her, her her soup is cold and her ice water is warm and like whatever Because they try to use ice water to freeze off the gun. But, of course, Miss Mush can't make that happen.
1: And uh, Rondi is a girl who's very cute but missing her front teeth. And everyone tells her how cute her teeth are, which doesn't make any sense to her because she doesn't have any teeth there. And then it kind of goes... it, it cycles into the absurd with people telling her how much they like her hat but she's not wearing a hat and how much they like her coat and how it matches her hat but she's not wearing a coat and how much they like a joke that she's just told but she hasn't told a joke it's one of the more absurd chapters of this absurd book I feel
0: yes and it ends with her biting Lois with her teeth that she doesn't have which I appreciated like, I feel like this story is taking a strong stance against being told to smile. <laughs> and I, like, this and Ms. Marvel are, I mean, Captain Marvel. You know what, and Ms. Marvel? They're, these are the three heroes that we need.
2: <laughs> There's very much, like, running through this. I think you could do a really interesting read about, like, bodily autonomy. yeah, And how the kids are never really punished for insisting on their, bo- like, they do a lot of random things, but, like, like Leslie is completely right in saying "Don't touch my hair," and Rondi is completely right in saying, "Please stop like commenting on my body when I didn't invite it." Yes.
1: Uh, let's see. Of oh, Sammy. Um. So Sammy. Sammy doesn't get bodily
0: bodily autonomy.
1: Sammy is he when they he comes in to class? He's very smelly. And someone comments on how bad he smells, and.
0: And then he mis- has to take his coat off.
1: Yeah, so they ask him to take his coat off, and he takes off the coat, and there's another coat underneath. So he has to take off this whole. They take a whole bunch of coats off of him, and under the last coat is a dead rat, which Mrs. Jules tells them to take out of the classroom because apparently uh, dead rats have been trying to get into her classroom all yep.
0: year. Yeah, this is the third one this year, and dead rats are not allowed. Yes. And then there's no further detail about why they had to make that rule or like what the other two rats were. Just so this is just is
2: this is such a this is such a weird chapter. Mm-hmm. And I really like it because it's so weird like and because it doesn't even like it makes no gestures at trying to make sense. It doesn't try to like in any way present a type of logic. They're just like, No, the dead rats keep wanting to come in. They they like this class. And you know what? Sure. I don't I don't want your explanation. I don't want I just I just want to hear, yeah, dead rats are interested in Mrs. Jules' class apparently, even though they don't seem to like being there, given that Sammy was kind of a jerk the whole time. Yes. He also but when makes fun I'm, of everyone while they're
1: taking all of his coats off.
2: Like if this is what I'm stuck on. If Sammy wants to be in the class, maybe he should be nicer and then they wouldn't care that he's a dead rat.
1: Exactly. But instead,
2: he's mean to everyone. I feel like there's a moral in there somewhere. But at the same time, how come Sammy has to take off his coat, but Sherry doesn't have to take off her coat? Sherry's so cute. Sherry's cute, and she's asleep, and that's fine. But Sammy is over there in his, like, dozens of raincoats, and they're like, no, that's unacceptable. You're a dead rat. Get out. You know, it's like how
0: public libraries unfairly uh, enforce their rules against homeless people and not against, you know, just maybe a sweaty... A sweaty kid who is not experiencing homelessness. It's
2: exactly. Like it's, that. Di- it's completely inappropriate.
1: <laughs> Next riding on the tail of the dead rat story is Dee Dee, who uh, she really wants a good ball. There's there's good balls and mediocre balls and deflated bad balls uh, available for playing in the yard. But because Dee Dee is coming from the 30th story, it takes her far longer to get to the yard than most of the other students and there's no good balls left by the time she gets down there. Uh, so one day she devises a plan to get down to the yard first, which is she brings a whole bunch of things for lunch that she smears on her face to make herself look like a dead rat. Mm-hmm. So when she does, Miss Jules is like, oh my God, get that dead rat out of my classroom and she is able to leave and escape down to the yard and be the first one to request a ball from Lewis. And she gets the the type of ball that she wants due to her ingenuity. And I... It's... I just... I love it. I just love it.
2: Yeah. It's just like... It's... I really love that there are no consequences for it. Well, actually,
0: there is one consequence. When Mrs. Jules found out that Dee Dee and Todd had tricked her, she sent Todd home early on the kindergarten bus. (laughs) (laughs) but there's no
2: consequences for for Dee. Dee. and i you know i I kind of love that like todd's basically like you know what if i'm going to be punished every day i might as well take a stand for something (laughs) and apparently that stand is getting a ball on the playground for a friend but you know what at least it's at least there's a reason at least he's going home that day feeling accomplished yes
1: uh so next we have dj who smiles all the time And uh, is so cheerful that he makes everyone else cheerful and everyone just smiles in his presence. And when they ask him what he's smiling about, he says, you need a reason to be sad. You don't need a reason to be happy.
0: Which is sort of a cliche, like Hallmark uh, sentiment, but I don't know. DJ pulls it off. I
1: It was another like, ah, I was not expecting this little heartwarming snapshot of... This child, DJ Yeah After DJ is John uh, John can only read upside down Which is fine when he's reading from a book But one day Miss Sarves points out Well what if you need to read The blackboard I can't turn the blackboard upside down So clearly uh, what she needs him To learn how to do Is stand on his head So that he can read the blackboard When she writes on it And he can't stand on his head but one of his friends i can't remember who can stand on his head (laughs) It's, it's a dumb joke
0: it's a dumb joke but then when he somehow the process of him like falling over as he tries to learn how to stand on his head uh recalibrates his brain so that he can read right
2: side up now so the thing about the dumb joke here is that i it's one of those things where i always like kind of skim past it for like the first few times that Joe stands on his head. And then I realize, and I laugh, and it is completely a dumb joke, but it works for me every time I read this chapter.
1: Yeah, me as well. Yeah,
0: I mean, the joke being, if if we're not making it clear, he he doesn't stand on his own head, he stands on John's head. But when you... It's it's a little wordplay, I guess.
1: Yes. Uh, so next up is Leslie, who uh, realizes that she has hands and fingers and feet and toes and she can use her hands and fingers to do all sorts of things but what the heck is she supposed to do with her toes uh so she decides to sell them to to lewis lewis
0: but she's not getting a good price for them so she decides to keep them yes and then he offers to buy her pigtails and she's like well that's ridiculous
1: (laughs) So after Leslie is chapter 19, uh, which the full text of chapter 19 is there is no chapter 19. There is no. um,
2: No, it's even better than that. It's not it's there is no 19th story because it's a pun because there's stories and also a story is a floor. And I remember getting that. As a kid and like putting it together And just finding it the most clever thing in the world And honestly I'm now in my 30s And I still think it's kind of the most clever thing in the world
0: It's extremely yes. good And the the stories are numbered so each of them is just You know number 17 John, number 18 Leslie, number 19 Miss Zarves But then yes, there is no 19th story
1: Yeah there is no Miss Zarves, there is no 19th story That's why I paused because I was like no wait there's a pun in there Yeah Yeah so that's the whole text of chapter 19 which is just, I, I, it's so simple,
2: but it's so good. Yes. There's so many other chapters that are really great that I feel bad saying 19 is maybe the best chapter in this book. Because, like, I feel like that's insulting the others by comparison. But it's just, it's so brilliant what he does here.
0: It, it it's just po- like a little refreshing little break. Like, I don't know.
2: I always think of how, like, there's probably, like, kids who are reading it who are told they have to read three chapters before bed or whatever and they're like I just read chapter 19 <laughs> and are just super proud of themselves Yes, this is the opposite of the kind of kid I was obviously I was the kind of jerk who read like full books and wouldn't stop reading when I was told to put the book down mm-hmm. but like thinking, thinking about this as a young reader's book it's really interesting how well a lot of these aspects work for a reluctant reader
1: yes so good this book is so good um so ms arms is followed up by kathy who is the person in class who doesn't like anybody uh and nobody likes her and we discover that the reason that she doesn't like anyone is because everyone is always telling her things that are wrong but of course there's a twist to that uh miss Jules tells her she tells miss Jules she's afraid that her cat's gonna run away And so she keeps it in the closet all the time so that it won't escape. And Miss Jules says, if you just, like, take care of your cat and, you know, love her and take care of her, she won't run away. But Kathy is sure that Miss Jules is wrong, so she doesn't do that. She keeps her in the closet. And, of course, one day she gets out and runs away. So Miss Jules was wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Two things here. Kathy's cat's name is Skunks, plural, which is great. I love skunks. Uh, Second of all, Kathy's using the secret badly.
1: Yeah, so this chapter is just a series of her explaining all the ways that she's right and other people are wrong, or the text explaining all the ways that Kathy thinks she's right and other people are wrong, uh, and it is all sort of self-fulfilling prophecies that end badly for her, and that is the excuse she gives for not liking anyone in the class.
0: Yeah, and then the end of it is like, Kathy doesn't like people because they don't like her and she doesn't like you the reader because you don't like Kathy and you read it and you're like yeah I don't after reading this chapter about her except I kind of do
2: yeah like they make her a weirdly sympathetic character in this chapter like she's a jerk like I she's not someone I want to go hang out with but I I get her I get where she's coming from I've definitely had days of being Kathy yes who who amongst us hasn't (laughs)
1: So then we get Ron, who is has small feet but wants to play kickball, but no one wants to pick him for their team because he's bad at kickball because he has small feet. So Lewis tells him, you know, that he tries to get the kids to include him, and when they won't, he says, okay, well, well, Ron and I, Lewis, will be a team against all of you guys so that you'll let him play, and the other team just like totally flounces them Lewis of course gets like a home run every time he goes up to bat but Ron is not very good at kicking so they still get totally trounced by the other team and when Lewis points out like oh you know we lost anyway Ron's like yeah well half of that is your fault and then punches Lewis in the stomach <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: and again the best part of that is how like it ends with him being like, Ron wasn't good at kickball, but he's very good at punching. And like, <laughs> in a weird way, it feels triumphant for him, even as the whole point of the chapter is that he's wrong. It's like, good for you. Stand yes. up for yourself and your desire to play this game you're very bad at. Yes. If Calvin can draw, he can play kickball.
0: Um, and then we get to the, the Eric's, who also could use a little bit of justice, I think. Yes. Yeah. So there's Eric Fry, Eric Bacon, and Eric Ovens, and they're all known throughout the school for being fat, and they're all kind of teased in different ways about being fat. But Eric Bacon is not fat. He's the skinniest kid in class, but since his name is Eric, everyone assumes that he is also fat, and so his nickname is Fatso. And then there's Eric Fry, who is very large. But his body is solid muscle because he's the best athlete in Mrs. Jewel's class. But no one notices that either because they just assume that Eric's are fat and bad at sports. And then um, Eric Ovens is, is fat and is clumsy. And...
1: Is the nicest kid in class.
0: Yes. But, but his nickname is Apple.
1: Yes, because the other two Eric's are cranky because...
0: Because everyone assumes that they're bad at sports, even though yes. the other two are good at sports. And um, and Butterfingers is the nickname of
2: the Eric who's good at sports, which is Eric Fry. One of the things I really like about this chapter is I rem- I remembered that he was called Fatso. And I went in kind of like bracing myself for the fat shaming, which I I feel is a fair assumption when you remem- when what you remember from the chapter is that it's got a character called Fatso. But it kind of, it treats fatness as just a body phenotype, not a moral failing. Like, it's, it's not the ideal, it's not like, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's like actively body positive, but it's just, these are their body types. It's very clear that one of the characters who is fat is solid muscle. Like, none of this is kind of, it's not nearly as mean as it could be, and the problem with being fat with being fat is it's not that fat is an insult it's that he's being called something he's not yeah. like there's there's a lot of holes this could have fallen into that it avoided no holes related pun intended but
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's body neutral i would say perhaps yeah. yeah um but i i felt the same way when i was listening i had forgotten actually that there was the the fatso joke uh, and when I got to that part in the audiobook, like my entire body tensed up as I was ready to deal with what was to come. But it, I also was pleasantly surprised that it was just real chill. Yeah. Um, let's get through a few more of these. Allison uh, comes to school one day with a tangerine for her lunch, uh, a book that she is reading, and a tennis ball. Ah, uh, she goes to lunch and peels her tangerine and miss Munch, The lunch teacher says, "Oh, that tangerine looks so good. Could I have it?" And Allison says, "Ah, uh, sure, and gives it to her. So she goes to outside or to the library and is reading her book. And the librarian says, "Oh, that book sounds interesting. Can I borrow it?" And Allison says, "Sure, and gives her the book." And she goes outside for recess and starts bouncing her tennis ball, and Lewis says, Oh, like what a cool tennis ball. Can I play with it? And she goes, sure. And then, having lent all of her property to the teacher that should have that property already, uh, she goes back up to the classroom where Miss Arves, or Miss Sarves, Miss <laughs> Jules is having what she calls an arithmetic problem, but it's really a spelling problem, and asks for Kathy's help or Allison's help, sorry, I'm getting all these names mixed up.
0: Too many kids.
1: Yes, and Allison helps her, and Ms. Jewel says, I'll tell you a secret, Allison, uh, students are smarter than teachers sometimes, and Allison says that's not a secret, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: That's no a secret. Everybody knows that. Yes. Yep.
1: Damien, we meet, has to run up and down the stairs multiple times to pass very simple messages back to Lewis. First, she runs down to ask Lewis, do you want to watch a movie with us? And Lewis says, what movie? So he has to run back upstairs to find out what movie. And then has to run back downstairs to tell Lewis. And then back upstairs, like, back and forth, back and forth, several times. Up my, all my favorite
0: thing upstairs. is, um, she tells, Mrs. Jules tells Damien the movie is Turtles. And then Lewis wants to know what the movie is about. And the movie's name is Turtles. And so he, Damien has to run upstairs and be like, what's the movie about? And she says, turtles. So he has to run all the way back downstairs and say the movie Turtles is about turtles. (laughs) Uh,
1: After Damien, we have Jenny, who's late for school. And when she shows up, the schoolyard is empty and it's very quiet. When she gets to the 30th floor, the entire classroom is empty and it's dark. So she starts doing her spelling homework. And then two shady dudes show up in the classroom and start interrogating her and finally tell her to go home and then tell her not to come back to school on a Saturday ever again.
0: Uh-huh. And that's just sort of like an unresolved deep mystery that could be an entire other book, but it's not.
2: <laughs> I really love how like, and this this comes up in a few of the other Wayside School books too, there's just like, there's mysterious shady figures basically everywhere like, yeah. And it's just kind of... Everyone accepts it. Like, oh, that's the price of attending public school, apparently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Trust no one.
1: Uh, we get Terrence next, who is a bad sport. And anytime he starts to lose at a sport, he kicks the ball over the fence. Uh, so several of his classmates are very angry that he has interrupted their games, insisted that he be allowed to play, and then when it didn't go his way, stolen their ball and kicked it over the fence. So at the end Lewis Kicks him over the fence
2: (laughs) Um, But I mean good for them For getting balls because as we know From earlier that's really hard to do Yes
1: After that we've got Joy who forgot her lunch One day uh, but Damien had A really good lunch So she Steals his lunch from his desk and eats it And then plants The evidence on other students Desks And when Damien comes back and realizes his lunch is missing, she says, like, oh, Todd, your lunch bag is on Todd's desk and, you know, your delicious turkey sandwich wrapper is on Nancy's desk and points out, like, clearly has way too much knowledge about what Damien's lunch is and Miss Jules uh, punishes everyone who she claims stole the lunch and then Joy's mother shows up with, her lunch that she forgot at home so Damien gets to eat that and uh, Joy does feel a deep shame though because she can never enjoy the taste of any of the things that she ate out of Damien's lunch ever again
0: uh, next and this this was I don't know that was kind of a interesting little moral I guess because it's like Damien ate his bad lunch but he soon forgot about it and went moved on with his day like at least he wasn't hungry anymore but Joy was tainted by her crimes. Next up is Nancy, who's a boy and is embarrassed about being named Nancy, and only has one friend who's a girl, and they don't know each other's names. They just call each other... They call each other friend or something. Or you. you. They call each other hey, you. Hey, you. And uh, it turns out that the girl's name is Mac, and so they decide to just switch names. And then all the other students are like, wait, are you allowed to do that? And so briefly... everybody switches names with everybody else and it's uh chaos but at the end of the day they all switch back except for mac and nancy keep their new names but mac and nancy always still just call each other you and their friendship endures
1: uh the second to last story is about steven who comes to school on a Friday before Halloween dressed as a goblin and everyone in class makes fun of him because it's not Halloween but he's wearing a costume and he tries to explain that this is the school day closest to Halloween and they're having a Halloween party today in school so of course it makes sense to dress up but they all think that he's crazy and mock him for it anyway and he's a little embarrassed when the Halloween party happens and it's basically just them eating Halloween cookies and then being done with it.
0: It takes 30 seconds.
1: Yes. Uh, but then the ghost of Miss Gorf shows up to haunt the children. And then what happens?
0: Then he scares away Mrs. Gorf because of his costume. And so he is validated.
1: Yes.
2: But no, it it isn't oh, him no. scaring her. Yes. It's so much better than that. He's like, he's happy and he hugs her yes. for validating him. And she's like, oh no. A student likes me. That can't be right. And disappears. Yes, you're right. And I love so much that, like, apparently her kryptonite is being eaten as an apple and affection.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the very last story in the book is Lewis, who uh, tells the kids a story about normal schools and they're scared and skeptical and tell him it's not a good story because it's very unrealistic. And that's...
0: Yeah. And that's the book.
1: That's the book. Uh,
0: and it's so great. And let's...
2: But move- like, oh. It's not just Mrs. Jules. or It's not just the kids who think that it's unrealistic. Mrs. Jules is like, he's just telling a story. It's We don't really go for fairy tales here. Which again <laughs> brings me back to the question of where was she educated? Like... What is, where did she go to school that she comes away thinking, no, what kind of school has those rules? We know that every school is like 97% yard and a one really big, tall building with no elevators. (laughs) Maybe it's a
1: very insular town and everyone has just gone to this school forever.
2: I would kind of really love that if it's like, oh yeah, my dad, my dad went to school he says that when he was here, the nineteenth story was real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I would love Wayside School: The Next Generation.
2: Oh
1: man, but... it is. It's just it's a delightful book. It's if you never read it as a kid, I I would say like a lot of times when we do these flashbacks to like books that we loved as children, I don't necessarily think that unless you're very interested in children's literature, there's a lot to take out of them um but this is one that i i do honestly think that if you never read it as a kid but this sounds interesting like it's worth spending an hour flipping through it there there's a lot that's very admirable admirable about how this is done um and how it how it manages to to be be this way it's just it's very good and i think that there's a lot to learn from it if you are interested in writing funny books for kids
0: Yeah, or just if you want a little break. You just want a little break in your day. Just read this. It's a delight.
2: Like, in a lot of ways, I feel like it almost holds up better as an adult than as a kid. Like, as a kid, I really enjoyed it, but it felt very ephemeral in a lot of ways. Like, because they're brief chapters that aren't really interconnected, and they all kind of – they're short stories you can pick up and read in five minutes and then put the book down and come back to. But as an adult rereading it, I'm like – some of these have stuck with me for like 25 years like they're just they're they're a lot stronger and you kind of you pick it back up and you're like oh wow and I bet that as an adult reading it like a lot of the things that passed me right by as a kid I'd be like oh that's really clever right from the beginning yes I would agree
0: um, let's dive into our dramatic readings and just give you all a, a full dose of how delightful this book is. And uh, Amy is up first with, with the very first
2: chapter. So I chose Mrs. Gorf because this is the first chapter and this is weird. Like, it, it's one of those things where you, you, you're, you don't always know going into a book. This is the perfect way to set up the tone for the book because this is absolutely insane. Okay. Mrs. Gorf. Mrs. Gorf had a long tongue and pointed ears. She was the meanest teacher in Wayside School. She taught the class on the 30th 30th story. If you children are bad, she warned, or if you answer a problem wrong, I'll wiggle my ears, stick out my tongue, and turn you into apples. Mrs. Gorf didn't like children, but she loved apples. Joe couldn't add. He couldn't even count. But he knew that if he answered a problem wrong, he would be turned into an apple. So he copied from John. He didn't like to cheat, but Mrs. Gorf had never taught him how to add. One day, Mrs. Gorf caught Joe copying John's paper. She wiggled her ears, first her right one, then her left, stuck out her tongue, and turned Joe into an apple. Then she turned John into an apple for letting Joe cheat. Hey, that isn't fair, said Todd. John was only trying to help a friend. Mrs. Gorf wiggled her ears, First her right one, then her left, stuck out her tongue, and turned Todd into an apple. Does anyone else have an opinion, she asked. Nobody said a word. Mrs. Gorf laughed and placed the three apples on her desk. Stephen started to cry. He couldn't help it. He was scared. I do not allow crying in the classroom, said Mrs. Gorf. She wiggled her ears, first her right one, then her left, stuck out her tongue, and heard Stephen into an apple. For the rest of the day, the children were absolutely quiet. And when they went home, they were too scared to even talk to their parents. But Joe, John, Todd, and Stephen couldn't go home. Mrs. Gorf just left them on her desk. They were able to talk to each other, but they didn't have much to say. Their parents were very worried. They didn't know where their children were. Nobody seemed to know. The next day, Kathy was late for school. As soon as she walked in, Mrs. Gorf turned her into an apple. Paul sneezed during class. He was turned into an apple. Nancy said, God bless you, when Paul sneezed. Mrs. Gorf wiggled her ears, first her right one, then her left, stuck out her tongue, and turned Nancy into an apple. Terence fell out of his chair. He was turned into an apple. Mauricia tried to run away. She was halfway to the door as Mrs. Gorf's right ear began to wiggle. When she reached the door, Mrs. Gorf's left ear wiggled. Mauricia opened the door and had one foot outside when Mrs. Gorf stuck out her tongue. Mauricia became an apple. Mrs. Gorf picked up the apples from the floor and put it on her desk with the others. Then a funny thing happened. Mrs. Gorf turned around and fell over a piece of chalk. The three Erics laughed. They were turned into apples. Mrs. Gorf had a dozen apples on her desk. Joe, John, Todd, Stephen, Kathy, Paul, Nancy, Terence, Mauricia, and the three Erics, Eric Fry, Eric Bacon, and Eric evans Louis, the yard teacher, walked into the classroom. He had missed the children at recess. He had heard that Mrs. Gorf was a mean teacher, so he came up to investigate. He saw the 12 apples on Mrs. Gorf's desk. I must be wrong, he thought. She must be a good teacher if so many children bring her apples. He walked back down to the playground. The next day, a dozen more children were turned into apples. Louis, the yard teacher, came back to the room. He saw 24 apples on Mrs. Gorf's desk. There were only three children left in the class. She must be the best teacher in the world, he thought. By the end of the week, all of the children were apples. Mrs. Gorf was very happy. Now I can go home, she said. I don't have to teach anymore. I won't have to walk up 30 flights of stairs ever again. You're not going anywhere, shouted Todd. He jumped off the desk and bought Mrs. Gorf on the nose. The rest of the apples followed. Mrs. Gorf fell on the floor. The apples jumped all over her. Stop, she shouted, or I'll turn you into applesauce. But the apples didn't stop, and Mrs. Gorf could do nothing about it. "'Turn us back into children,' Todd demanded. "'Mrs. Gorf had no choice. "'She stuck out her tongue, wriggled her ears, "'this time her left one first and then her right, "'and turned all the apples back into children. "'All right,' said Mauricia. "'Let's go get Louis. He'll know what to do.' "'No!' screamed Mrs. Gorf. "'I'll turn you back into apples.' "'She wiggled her ears, first her right one, then her left, "'and stuck out her tongue. "'But Jenny held up a mirror and Mrs. Gorf turned herself into an apple. The children didn't know what to do. They didn't have a teacher. Even though Mrs. Gorf was mean, they didn't think it was right to leave her as an apple. But none of them knew how to wiggle their ears. Lewis, the yard teacher, walked in. "'Where's Mrs. Gorf?' he asked. Nobody said a word. "'Boy, am I hungry,' said Lewis. "'I don't think Mrs. Gorf would mind if I ate this apple.' After all, she always has so many. He picked up the apple, which was really Mrs. Gorf, shined it up on his shirt, and ate it. <laughs> yup. This is an amazing book. This is just, like, rereading reading this chapter after having read the whole thing. Like, like, the idea that Todd is the one who's kind of the group leader for fighting back against Mrs. Gorf, I love it so much. I love how that enhances the rest of the story there's just all these little really smart things yes
0: and the way that you can look at something like oh she has so many apples and just make such a incorrect conclusion (laughs) flawless all right let's check in on kathy kathy once had a cat named skunks she liked skunks but she was afraid that skunks would run away You have nothing to worry about, Kathy, said Mrs. Jules. Skunks won't run away. Just be nice to him and feed him and pet him, and he won't run away. He may go out and play, but he'll always come back. No, you're wrong, Mrs. Jules, said Kathy. What do you know? He'll run away. So Kathy kept Skunks locked up in her closet at home. She never let him out and sometimes even forgot to feed him. One day, while Kathy was looking for her other shoe, Skunks ran out of the closet and never came back. You said he would never come back. Sorry. You said he would come back, Mrs. Jules, said Kathy. He never came back. You were wrong. I was right. That was like Kathy didn't like Mrs. Jules. The next time I get a cat, I'll kill him. Then he'll (laughs) never run away, said Kathy. Anyway, it goes into all the reasons why she doesn't like everybody. And then Kathy had very good reasons for not liking anybody she knew. But she also has a good reason for not liking you. And she doesn't even know you her reason is this she knows that if you ever met her you wouldn't like her you don't like kathy do you see she was right it's funny how a person can be right all the time and still be wrong poor kathy but don't let her have another cat though
1: <laughs> i forgot that i'll kill him and he'll never run away
0: <laughs> yeah that's like some like serial killer behavior but she never does get another cat so i guess it's fine
1: so I'm gonna read a little bit from Stephen's chapter about Halloween, and uh, we'll close out dramatic readings with that. Stephen had green hair, he had purple ears and a blue face. He wore his sister's pink dancing shoes and green leotards. The leotards matched his hair. He was all dressed up as a goblin for Mrs. Jewel's Halloween party, but unfortunately, it wasn't Halloween. Ha ha ha! You sure look stupid," said Jason. Jason was Stephen's best friend. So do you, said Stephen. Boy, are you dumb, said Jenny. Halloween is on Sunday. Today is only Friday. You're the one who's dumb, said Stephen. Ha ha, you'd probably come to school on Sunday. Mrs. Jules said we'd leave the party, we'd have the party today. But none of the other students wore costumes. Just Stephen. All right, class, said Mrs. Jules. It's time for our Halloween party. See, said Stephen. Mrs. Jules gave each child a cookie that looked like an orange orange witch with a black hat. She laughed when she saw Stephen and forgot to give him one. Stephen didn't ask for it. He was afraid she'd laugh again. The children finished their cookies in less than 30 seconds. All right, class, said Mrs. Jules. The party is over. We have a lot of work to do. Stephen felt like a fool. The party lasted less than a minute, and he had to spend the rest of the day wearing his stupid goblin suit. Mrs. Jules began the arithmetic lesson. She wrote on the blackboard, Two plus two equals five. That's wrong, Joy shouted. Mrs. Jules tried again. Two plus two equals three. That wasn't right either. She added two and two again and got 43. It was useless. No matter how hard she tried, she couldn't get two plus two to equal four. I don't understand it, she said. They've always equaled four before. Suddenly she screamed. The chalk turned into a squiggling worm. She dropped it on her foot. Then all the lights went out and the blackboard lit up like a movie screen. A woman appeared on the screen. She had a long tongue and pointed ears. She stepped off the screen and into the classroom. It was the ghost of Mrs. Gorf. Trick or treat, you rotten kids, she said. Now I'll get even with every last one of you. Where's Todd? Who is that? asked Mrs. Jules. Mrs. Gorf, said Damian. Who's Mrs. Gorf? She was the meanest teacher we ever had, said Rondy. What happened to her? Lewis ate her, said Jason. I'm not going to allow this. Get out of my classroom, Mrs. Jules demanded. It's Halloween, sweet teacher, said Mrs. Gorf. Ghosts can go anywhere they like. I've come for a little class reunion. But it isn't Halloween, said Mrs. Jules. Halloween is still two days away. I know, said Mrs. Gorf, but Halloween falls on a Sunday this year, so we are celebrating it on the Friday before. Stephen leaped up from his seat. See, I was right, he said. Today is the day we celebrated the Friday before. Mrs. Gorf proved it. He ran up to Mrs. Gorf. They all laughed at me and made me feel stupid because I was the only one who got dressed up. But they were the ones who were wrong. You and I were right. He put his arms around Mrs. Gorf and hugged her. Mrs. Gorf gasped and disappeared. The lights came on, and I'll end there. But yes, is is a good book.
0: so good. All right, let's play some Would You Rather. Would you rather be in a class with Sammy the Dead Rat or Theo Boone, Kid Lawyer, the uh, titular star of John Grisham's children's series?
1: Am I the teacher or a student? Student. Uh, I'm going to go with Sammy because Sammy's mean, but at least he's not condescending. And probably all of the brouhaha over uh, taking all of his coats off to discover he is a dead rat will take up some time in class, uh, as opposed to Theo Boone, who would try to teach me about some stupid shit and it would be excruciating. So, Sammy.
2: Yeah, I, I'm i very much on the justice for Sammy train. I don't really feel like we got a sense of why he's horrible besides the fact that other people were mean to him first. I feel like if we I could get along with Sammy in the right circumstances.
0: Everyone did mention how terribly Sammy smelled, and I don't care for that, so I will take Theo Boone in my class. How about, would you rather have to go home early on the kindergarten bus, or have to time travel with Rush Revere, who's, of course, the time-traveling history teacher from Rush Limbaugh's children's series?
1: Oh, God. Sorry, I just remembered that existed. It sure, um, it sure does. I, I go home early on the kindergarten bus. I spent, I mean, in elementary school, maybe not so much. I do actually remember my parents telling me a story about how I used to cry when I would get sick in elementary school because I wanted to go to school so bad. Mm-hmm. But generally, once I got later into my schooling, uh, I was always happy to leave a little bit early. And as an adult, I'm always happy to be happy to be able to leave work a little bit early. So uh, I'll go home on the kindergarten bus. So at least I'll have Todd to talk
2: to. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, this is one of those where I can't even. Can really consider what my like 10 year old self would say because my adult self is like wait so i get to avoid the fresh limbo stand-in and i get to take a nap like i'm not seeing the downside here right i mean
0: the, the only thing is yeah if it were implied that i were on the kindergarten bus because i had gotten in trouble that would be devastating to me as a student now i certainly would
2: be like yeah give me that nap this is where like part of that is like now that we're old enough to know there's no such thing as a permanent record and if there were it doesn't kick in when you're in like third grade yeah i think really works in our favor yes exactly
0: um that said uh, i still do think it would be really cool to time travel so even though i will have to do it with rush revere i think i'm still gonna take that chance do a little time traveling with a disgusting trash teacher so that will be fun Finally, would you rather eat Mrs. Gorf in apple form or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only steaks and cakes?
1: Um, I would, of course, Uh, you know, I'm not a cannibal and I'm not sure about the ethics of eating Miss Gorf as an apple.
0: Yeah. Is it vegetarian?
1: Yeah. So, so I think I'd be, you know, at Steaks and Cakes. You know, I could always go for a nice, entire platter of steaks and a full cake do you of course love to support our sponsor
2: yeah same no question i'm i mean i like a good steak and cake so i'm leaning towards that mostly just because i don't really yet have a grasp on like the philosophical implications of person in apple form and now that we like since we know that they can think and have conversations i just i don't think i could make that leap yeah it's upsetting all right well see you with steaks and
0: cakes and now let's move on to reader's advisory where we talk to i'm sorry where we'll recommend some books to read instead of or in addition to wayside school and of course obviously in addition to um these books are great i think we've been saying that for over an hour and we also alluded to the fact that there's not a lot that's very similar to this but we'll quickly give you a few things that are also good
1: um there are also if you are unaware two more books
0: in this series
1: so check those out too Mm -hmm.
0: plus the wayside arithmetic books which i never really got into because they were too hard for me
2: Okay, so when I was a kid, I had the Wayside Arithmetic books and was terrible at them and would just, like, read it and then flip to the back and get the answer. So this week, I decided that I would try it again. Now, I'm someone who does logic puzzles all the time. I find them a lot of fun. This is hard. Like, it's not impossible. I did, I think, like, 20-something of them last night when I just, like, set aside a few hours for it. But they're not easy. Like, I'm not sure how a 10-year-old is going to get this. And they're not easy but like in a really fun challenging way rather than a stressful way and each question has hints like if you're an adult looking for some stuff to do i would actually recommend this hmm interesting
1: um i am i don't have a ton for this one just because it is so unique so the only thing i'm really gonna say is completely non-related well not there's a there's a, a, a thin string of relation that is in my head for this but the Musical Ghost Quartet by Dave, uh, Dave <laughs> Palloy. You should just listen to that.
2: Uh, I can't top that. Let's move on to our candy pairing. Or wait, I can actually... <laughs> um, in, terms, in terms of reader's advisory, so I think it's actually really interesting the way that a series of interconnected short stories is so rare. And if anyone out there has some suggestions for one, I'd love to hear more. The only comps that I could come up with in terms of format were young adult novels that are a lot darker than this. Like not necessarily depressing dark, but have way more serious issues brought in. And those were Rob Thomas's Doing Time Notes from the Undergrad and Joe Knowles's Between the Lines. Mm. And which are both like older YA stuff. So if anyone has any suggestions of middle grade that fit this format, even if not this basically unachievable to replicate tone, I'd love to hear some.
0: Alright, yeah. Once again, please do at us about that. And uh, we'll have a few other suggestions up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And let's move on to our candy pairing, where just like a non-steaks and cakes restaurant might recommend a fine wine to go with your meal, we'll suggest a candy. And uh, mine is that dinosaur egg oatmeal that my parents never bought me when I was a kid. But Mm -hmm. uh, from the commercials, I understand that when you pour hot water on it, the dinosaur eggs hatch and you get dinosaurs in your oatmeal, which sounds awesome and surprising, just like this book. And also all of Miss Smush's food turns into something oatmeal-like. But this would be better than that.
1: Uh, My candy pairing is a Sky Bar, which... Uh, you know, each section is a different flavor. All of it is good and it's very good when taken all together as well.
2: And I'm going to recommend some candy apples, preferably made of children, but if not, store bought is fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now it's time for the rock
0: paper snicked where Kate will say who Dwayne the rock Johnson will be here in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Amy will choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose uh, paper, which is to leave the book as is.
1: Continuing in a theme, or I guess starting a theme based on last episode, uh, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would just play Lewis, the yard teacher, and everything else would stay the same, because this book is already very good.
0: That's true, it is. And yet, if Wolverine were in this book, uh, Laura and Gabby and Jonathan the Wolverine from the all-new Wolverine comics would all also attend Wayside School, and uh, Gabby would be friends with Rondi and Allison, and she and Jonathan would join them in some friendly biting whenever anyone told them to smile and they didn't feel like it, and Laura would use her claws to cut down that chain link fence and get
2: all the lost balls back for everyone. Now, is it possible for me to choose a rock snicked, where both of those are happening simultaneously? Unfortunately,
0: no. That's not how the game is played.
2: Ah, this is a terrible oh. game. I want to kick the ball <laughs> over the fence right now. <laughs> you could also choose paper, which is to leave
1: the book as is.
2: I, I can't do that, because both of these enhance it so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with snicked, because I really want to see um, Jonathan um, biting everyone, but like grudgingly no i i understand it is hard because wolverine
0: and the rock both so obviously enhance everything it's hard to just pick the best one
2: the thing is they they i mean they enhance everything but this book is so rife for like bringing in random things and just throwing it at the wall and it's sticking despite the fact that it should not absolutely that, that's really like that's essentially what this entire series is based off of
0: All right, well, I think we all really won just from getting to think about both those scenarios for a moment. Uh, And now, uh, what do we think the moral of the story is?
1: Uh, My moral of the story is that someone needs to cut Todd a break.
2: Mine is uh, respect the Americans with Disabilities Act. And mine is a reminder that sometimes you're the hero of the story and sometimes you're just a random name thrown into someone else's chapter. Too True.
0: And uh, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, you are so right. Skunks was completely justified in running away from Kathy. She was not a qualified pet owner. And I'm I'm sure that she will never get another cat again. And at least yeah. not until she's ready for that responsibility. Maybe as an adult she can try again.
1: And I can't, I don't know why skunks didn't have their own chapter, maybe because they ran away before the book started. Uh,
2: that would be something you'd have to take up with the author, I think. I can only assume that it's because he's waiting to put out a fourth book in the series, just entitled Skunks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 And I also think you're right. If they were having such a dead rat problem, they should have brought in a classroom cat. And uh, I don't know why they didn't think of that. Maybe just to keep Kathy away from the cat, though.
1: That's true. Uh,
0: all right, well, Duarte, thanks as ever for your opinions. And do any humans have any closing thoughts?
1: Um, just to thank Amy for joining us and you know,
2: having an excuse to read this book again. and it was great. And yeah, that's all. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. I like i I remembered I loved this book, but i didn't I didn't know that it would hold up so well. so I'm like, I'm really happy that I got to dive back in.
0: Yes, it was a true delight to to talk to you, Amy, and to revisit this delightful book. <sighs> All right. Well, if you uh, would like to talk to us online, and again, do at us if you had a yard teacher, and do at us if you know more interconnected uh, short stories for young readers, especially. And if you would like to to know how to do that, you can go to our Facebook, which is facebook.com dot slash worst bestsellers. Uh, you can tweet at us. On, we're on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S. There is no Miss Zarves. There is no S, obviously. And uh, we do have a Goodreads group that is best accessed from our website, worstbestsellers.com.
1: Uh, you can follow us or subscribe to us, rather, on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, basically wherever you can find podcasts. If you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it moves us up a bit on the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, we're just, I guess, going to have to start sending dead rats dressed as children to your house to stink it up and intimidate you into doing so.
0: It will do it.
1: (laughs) You can also subscribe to us or pledge to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Uh, Patreon, if you are unaware, is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to help us improve the podcast and keep it going. And uh, in return, you get some cool perks. So you can check that out. Uh, You can also check out the merch that we have available by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch. Uh, And you can get all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body.
0: Or on your dead rat's body. Yes. You do you. Uh, Finally, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks.
1: If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at 14across.
0: If you'd like to follow Amy on Twitter, you can follow her at Amy R. Stern.
1: And you should, because she's great.
0: And we will be back in two weeks, continuing Flashback Summer with a visit to Polk Street School. Uh, Specifically, we're going to read the book Pickle Puss by Patricia Riley Giff, and I'm excited.
1: And uh, Becca will be back with us for that. I know people like when that happens. So there's your heads up.
0: Yeah, get ready. Brace yourselves for Becca. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.